Turn in your Bibles, if you would, uh, <clears throat> to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians and chapter 1. Put, a, put the ribbon in your Bible or a bookmarker or something in Galatians chapter 1. And uh, we'll be there uh, in a few minutes. Um, but we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So we're going to be uh, Galatians in chapter 1 in a minute. Uh, uh, but we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5. So right out of the gate, I want to say this. I am going to move as quickly as possible on this message. Uh, this message has got a lot of information that I want to give you. Uh, it, is, it is not a, a, a sermon in the sense that uh, this is more of a preaching message, if, if, if that makes sense, or, or excuse me, a teaching message instead of a preaching message. Uh, but I feel that it's, it's vital. I believe that it is what God would have for us this morning. Uh, so <clears throat> buckle up. Uh, if you take notes, you need to write fast because I'm going to be giving you a lot of information very, very quickly. And um, if you uh, take copious notes and you miss something, just see me afterward and I'll let you look through my notes and take up anything you missed. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry? Yeah, so yeah, we're, we're recording. It'll be online so you could actually go back and rewatch it if you need to. Um, but this is, this is Missions Month. And as I, every year leading up to missions, uh, leading up to October, I pray about missions. M many of you know that I, I was a missionary. Uh, and I, I, I love missions. I, I love missionaries. And <clears throat> because of that, I look forward to October uh, because I get to preach messages about missions. And I, I guess I could do that anytime, but specifically during October. And <clears throat> um, years ago, I heard a definition of what a missionary is. And I wrote it down uh, because I felt like it answers the question, who or what is a missionary? Uh, oh, I guess you can't use the word what. Who is a missionary? Okay. Um, and this is the definition that I heard, and I, I absolutely agree with it. A missionary is anyone that is willing to go anywhere and tell anyone about the gospel. Let, let me, let me re-say that so that you can get this, because it's, it, it's, it's good. A missionary is anyone that is willing to go anywhere to tell anyone about the gospel. So that means who can be a missionary? Every, every believer can be a missionary. And see, what the problem is, we get this thing in our head that in order to be a missionary, I have to surrender my life to go to some foreign country and live in a grass hut somewhere and, and so on and so forth. Uh, well, I hear, I'm here to tell you that's not the Bible definition of a missionary. <clears throat> a missionary is anyone who's willing to go anywhere to tell anyone about the gospel. That means next door to where you live. That means around the corner. That means Africa. That means anywhere. <clears throat> so, 
that means potentially everyone can be a missionary. So as I have been praying and asking the Lord to direct me in my sermons on missions, I keep coming back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where we have been spending several several weeks, probably into the months, on uh, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, more specifically, uh, we've been looking at the 22 commandments that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, we have looked at 15 of the 22 commandments in uh, 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 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So, as I was praying and asking the Lord direction for this morning's message, he kept taking me back to commandment number 16. Because commandment number 16 fits in perfectly with the idea of missions. Commandment number 16. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 20. Despise not prophesying. Despise not prophesying. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at your word this this morning, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would help us to focus, and that you would help us to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Commandment number 16. Be excited about the Word of God. Despise not prophesying. Don't look down on prophesying. In fact, if you understood the flip side of the coin, it is we need to be excited about the Word of God. Does that not define missions? What does a missionary do? A missionary goes out and shares the Word of God. They are excited about the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. That is the last commandment that the Lord Jesus Christ gave here on this earth. Go out and teach the Word of God. Be excited about the Word of God. What I have found oftentimes with Christians in today's society is the Word of God has become kind of anticlimactic. People don't get excited about the Word of God anymore. But commandment number 16 that Paul gives us says we need to be excited about the Word of God. It should be a passion of ours. It should be the thing that drives us. He did not say in Matthew chapter 28 to go out and share the philosophies of men. He said go out and share the Word of God. Why? Because it's the Word of God that changes lives. Philosophy of men can help men from moment to moment. But if you want your life to change, it's only going to change through the Word of God. 
Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There has never in the history of mankind been a book that has shocked the world as much as this book right here. Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. What was what were the 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 uh, the unsaved leaders of the world of the of the, the 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 region there were saying, look, these preachers of the gospel, the missionaries that are here, they have turned the world upside down because of this book. See, you got to understand, the Roman government or the Roman the, the the world then was basically ruled by the Romans. And the philosophies of men, the Greek scholars and all that, was prominent. But it was the preaching of the Word of God that turned the world upside down, not the philosophies of men. So this morning, I want to look at how we need to be excited about the Word of God. Galatians in chapter 1, hopefully you... Put, a, put something there. We're going to be at Galatians chapter 1 here. <clears throat> Let's start reading in verse 11. But I certify you, brethren. What is, what is, what is the word certify mean? It means to guarantee. Paul is making a statement here guaranteeing to the brethren. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me, is not after men. For I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. What did Paul say? He said, I can guarantee you one thing. The messages that I preach to you, the gospel that I preach to you, did not come by men, but by God. It is the Word of God. It is not the ideas of men. <clears throat> so, well, let's let's take a look at commandment number 16. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at two types of evidences that the Word of God is the Word of God. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to attempt to give you evidence that this book is the Word of God. But the reality is this, and please get this, because if you don't get this, you might as well fall asleep and and I'll wake you up at the end. I I can give you all the proof I can, but if you will not believe that this is the Word of God, the proof I'm going to give you is nothing. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I, occasionally I will get asked by someone, hey, pastor, what, what proof can I, can I have? What, what proof can you give me that I can go back to a loved one, a friend, something that can prove to them that the Bible is the Bible? And the problem is, if they, right out of the gate, if they don't believe it's the Word of God, there's nothing you can do to prove it. But I want to give you some evidences to help solidify in your heart, in your life, 
that the Word of God is the Word of God. We have two types of evidences. <clears throat> we have the first one is internal evidence. Internal evidence. There are four internal evidences that I want to talk about this morning. Four. The first one, and I'm again, I, I told you that I'm going to go through this as quickly as I can. I'm going to give you a lot of information. So if you want to, you can go back and rewatch the, the, the sermon. Or if, if you need to, I can give you my notes and I'll print them out for you, whatever, whatever I can do to help you. But number one, the first internal evidence is self-proclamation, self-proclamation. The Bible claims to be the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 21. <clears throat> for the prophecy came not in old times by the will of men. Please get this. It did not come by the will of men. It did not get passed down from campfire to campfire to campfire. That is a humanistic view of the word of God. God says that the, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It did not happen the way the secularists want to tell you it happened. Internal proclamation. <clears throat> the second internal evidence that we have is the Holy Spirit. And this is important. When a person gets saved... And they accept Jesus Christ into their heart and life. The Holy Spirit comes to live within them. And then all of a sudden, the Word of God starts to take on a new meaning. We call this illumination. When the Holy Spirit that dwells within us illuminates Scripture for us. In John chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever he uh, uh, shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. In John chapter 14 and verse 26. But, excuse me, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father has sent in my name, he shall teach you all things. Illumination. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Have you ever been reading Scripture and thought to yourself, wow, I've never really noticed that before. In fact, it happened this morning. Somebody, somebody came to me and said, said, hey, you know what? I was reading in the Bible uh, and, and look, at, look at this verse. I had never seen that, that these two thoughts are connected. That, that, we call that illumination. Or have you ever been telling somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel, if you would? And then all of a sudden, a verse that you hadn't read or thought about in, in months comes screaming through your brain, and you're like, wow, where did that come from? That happens to me all the time. See, that is the Holy Spirit alive and well in our lives. <clears throat> Number three, proclamation, our interior uh, 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 evidence, excuse me, 
Number three, the transforming ability. The transforming ability. We have evidence that can prove this point. I don't even have to show you a Bible verse. I, I will here in a moment. But all you have to do is look at me. And that's proof of the transforming ability of the Word of God. Almost, well, just a little over 40 years ago, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was an alcoholic. My life was spinning out of control fast. But God saved me and slowly started to work in my heart and my life, and I started to change. And it was the Word of God that changed my life. It wasn't a, a temporary change. It was permanent change after permanent change. And now look at me. I'm a pastor. That scares me to death, by the way. Just saying. But the transforming ability of the Word of God is proof right here in my life. I had a, I had a cousin of mine one time. I'd been saved for, I don't know, five or six years. And he knew me and my filthy mouth and my horrible lifestyle before I was saved. And he came to visit one time. And, and he and I were alone for a little bit and he looked at me and he said, he said, Rick, he says, I got to know, what happened? I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're not the same, same guy I knew back, you know, at that time it had probably been about seven or eight years since we'd seen each other. He said, you, you've changed. I said, do you really want to know what changed? He said, absolutely, I want to know. And I was able to lead my cousin to Christ because of the transforming ability of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of center of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts of the intents of the heart. Have you ever read or heard the Word of God and, it, and it, it is literally like a knife that sticks right into your heart? I've heard people, unbelievers, hear a Bible quote and they just they get angry. Why is that? It's because it is cutting to their inner parts. It's the Word of God that penetrates. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your <clears throat> bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The transforming ability. And then number four, internal evidence is the unity of Scripture. The unity of Scripture. <clears throat> the Bible covers hundreds of topics. There is, there is not a scenario, a situation that you can go in life where the answer is not here. 
Every, anything that you can imagine, the answer's here. Hundreds, if not thousands of topics. This book covers them all. Yet, it is united in its theme. It is united. There, <clears throat> you say, so, so what? What's the big deal about that? Well, let me tell you why that's such a big deal. Because this book was written over a period of 1,500 years. Yet it is united from front to back. There is nothing that contradicts. Now, now, if you get on the internet, I'm sure you could type in contradictions in the Bible, and you will find a list of them. But if you, if you study them and understand them, all of those contradictions are taken out of context. This book does not contradict itself anywhere. It, was, it took 1,500 years to write. So that means that <clears throat> multiple people had to write it. In fact, there were more than 40 men wrote the Word of God over a period of 1,500 years. Some of them were contemporary with each other, but most of them were not. And not only that, but these 40 men came from all walks of life. Some were educated, some were not. An example uh, would be Moses was a very well-educated uh, man in, in the land of Egypt, yet he prophesied over Israel. Peter was a simple fisherman, had no education. Solomon was the smartest man who ever walked the face of the earth. He was a king. Luke was a doctor. Amos was a lowly shepherd. And Matthew was a tax collector. And I could go on and on and on. 1,500 men, or excuse me, 1,500 years, over 40 different men from every background and lifestyle imaginable. All the writers were of vast occupations and backgrounds. Yet, the Word of God has no contradictions. It has unity of thought from front to back. It was written in different places. It was written under different circumstances. And it was written for different purposes. It was written in different styles. But yet, there is unity of thought from front to back. Thus, the only conclusion that you can come up with logically is that there is a single author. It is impossible. It is impossible to write a book over a span of 1,500 years, over 40 different authors, and have unity of thought throughout. So that means that there can only be one author, and that author is God. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time, but by the will of men. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Again, this was not passed down from campfire to campfire, from legend to legend. 
No, this was the Word of God by the Word of God. Internal evidences. <clears throat> Let's talk about some external evidences. I think I have four of those as well. So that's why we need to keep going here. <clears throat> it is indestructible. The Word of God is indestructible. The Bible is the most well-known book in the history of mankind. In fact, it is still, even in our secular society today, it is still the best-selling book in the world. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of copies are sold every week. But you know, the media, the world doesn't want you to know that. People still want and desire the Word of God in their lives. <clears throat> Skeptics have tried to destroy it, yet it's still here. People like Adolf Hitler have tried to burn it and destroy it, but it has survived. The Word of God is indestructible. Number two, another external evidence. And I personally think these are kind of cool. And that is science. The Word of God. Now, now, now let, me, let me say this. Science does not prove the Word of God to be right. The Word of God proves that science is finally figuring it out. Okay? <clears throat> I'm going to give you two examples of this. The first one is in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Now, <clears throat> this is speaking of prophecy of Jesus Christ giving His life-flowing blood for your sin and for mine. But it is proof, what it's saying here is that life is in, of the flesh is in the blood. You know, you can, you can live with an artificial heart. You can live with one kidney. You can live with different body parts and different things. But there is no such thing as artificial blood. You cannot live without blood. Your life is dependent on the blood. Why was it so important that Christ shed his blood for your sin and mine? Because it, it was the very thing that kept him alive. And it's the very thing that keeps you alive. It took, it took the medical profession centuries to figure it out, but it was here in Leviticus the whole time. This next verse I'm going to read you, I think, is personally really cool. Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 21 and 22. Have ye not known? Have, not, have ye not heard? Have it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he that sitteth on the circle of the earth.
and the inhabitants thereof as, are as grasshoppers and stretcheth out the heavens uh, as a uh, curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Now, let me ask you a question. Prior to Christopher Columbus, what did people think? The world was flat. It was this verse that convinced Christopher Columbus that he could reach India. He didn't know there was another continent in between. But he was, he was convinced that he could find a faster trade route because the earth was round. It was this verse that he used to convince the Spaniards to allow them to do it. Even the religious crowd of the day thought he was going to fall off the end of the earth. I just personally think that's a pretty cool, cool verse. So we have external evidences. We have the indestructibility of the Word of God. We see the science uh, that is buried in the Word of God. And I just gave you two of many examples, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> go and Google it sometime. Uh, medical proof in the Bible. It's, it's incredible. Okay, and then number three, archaeology. Now this, this is, again, this, is, this one I, is another one that I think is pretty cool. I'm going to give you two examples of archaeology in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 14, it speaks of Abraham's victory over some king, which I can't pronounce his name. Uh, and he was ruler over five metropoli uh, metropolitan, uh, metropolitan, anyway, you know what I'm talking about, Mesopotamian kings, okay? He was the king over five kings. There were five, five cities, <clears throat> or five kingdoms uh, back in the day in Genesis chapter 14. Well, for, for centuries, there was no proof that those uh, five kings ever existed, those five kingdoms. So skeptics of the, of the Bible used to say, see, that's proof that the word of God is wrong. Well, I had news for him. In 1960, a guy named, uh, uh, <clears throat> let's see if I find his name here. I, anyway, I can't, I don't see his name here. Anyway, uh, the, uh, in 1960, the Ebla tablets were discovered in, south, uh, in, in northern Syria. The Ebla kingdom was a powerful kingdom in the 12th century B.C., i.e. Genesis chapter 14. The Ebla tablets are a record of the history of that, of that kingdom. What is incredibly important about these tablets, it makes reference to all five cities listed in Genesis chapter 14. See, again, science or archaeology did not prove the word of God to be true. The word of God proved the archaeologists finally figured it out. My favorite part of archaeology is the city of Jericho. I have a picture for you here. <clears throat> this is what the walls of Jericho looked like uh, prior to the, the nation of Israel marching around the city seven times. And the walls fell outward. Now, <clears throat> those of you that understand warfare, if an attacking army is going to attack a city that has a walled city, what direction are the walls going to fall in? 
they're going to fall inward because the attack is coming from out. The, the walls are going to fall inward. But the walls of Jericho fell outward, thus filling the cavern and making it very easy for the attacking army to just walk right into the city. In the 1930s, Dr. John uh, Garstang made an incredible discovery. He states, this is the archaeologist's statement, as to the main fact, then, there remains no doubt the walls fell outward so completely that the attackers would be able to climb up and over the ruins into the city. This remarkable discovery <clears throat> changed what we already knew. See, God said that the walls fell and the armies just walked right in. But it took till the 1930s for the archaeologists to say, wow, look what we found. There are, again, many, many more external <clears throat> archaeological proofs that I could have exampled this morning, but for time's sake, obviously we couldn't do that. And then the, the final external prophecy, or external evidence, is prophecy. The Bible contains hundreds of prophecies which have come to pass. Statistically, I, I started to do this, but I, I'm, it, it's off the charts. Statistically, every prophecy of this book has come to pass, except for what we call the end times. We're still waiting on those. Statistically, it is impossible for as many prophecies to have been made and to have happened as in this book. It is a statistical nightmare to try and figure it out. Just based on math alone proves the Word of God to be true. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet you shall, <clears throat> uh, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth shall uh, have been from old, from everlasting. Who is Micah prophesying? Jesus Christ, the Messiah from Bethlehem, Judah. Every Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The most celebrated birth that has ever taken place in the, in the, in the eyes of mankind. We celebrate every year. And the world does everything they can to strip away Christ from Christmas. Let me say this. I understand this is not Christmas, but keep Christ in Christmas. Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, 
unto a, uh, and unto a land, and I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. <clears throat> and thou shalt be blessed, and I will bless them that bless thee, and will curse them that curse thee. And it shall all, uh, and, and in these, in, sheesh, I'm trying to read too fast. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Israel is the most blessed nation on the face of this earth. They have lost their land and regotten it. Regotten it? That doesn't make sense. Uh, reclaimed it <laughs> multiple times. And it is historic proof that every nation that stands with Israel is a blessed nation. It's historic proof. Be careful how you vote this time. There are consequences to our votes. I'm a, I don't tell people how to vote. I don't do that. But there is one candidate that stands with Israel and there's one that doesn't. That in itself can dictate how we vote. Number two. So, number one are the evidences, the external and the internal evidences. Number two, and we're almost done, I promise. <clears throat> divine revelation. The divine revelation. <clears throat> Let's go back to Galatians uh, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was <clears throat> preached unto me is not of men. For I have not received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? In a nutshell, he said, the word of God that I preach unto you did not come from men, but came from God. Divine revelation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which uh, effectually worketh also in you that believe. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, For I testify unto <clears throat> every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man shall take away from these words of the book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. When a person is saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within, within us. The Holy Spirit illuminates and gives us wisdom beyond our ability as human beings through this book. Again, it is not the philosophies of men that change lives. It is the book. It is the Word of God that changes lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil un, untaken away uh, in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is gone away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, 
the veil is upon their hearts. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the word, excuse me, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, or the word glass there is the word mirror, the glory of God, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Basically, let me explain what he's talking about here. He says, if you do not have Jesus Christ in your life, if you've never accepted Christ, you do not have the Holy Spirit illuminating Scripture. When you read the Bible as an unsafe person, it's just a book. There's nothing special about it. It's just a book full of stories. But when you get saved and the veil is removed, we see the Word of God in a different light. We see the Word of God as the Word of God, and it can then start to change our lives. And it starts to act as a mirror. And as we, as we read the Word of God, we look into the mirror of the Word of God, and we start to see things in our lives, and we say, you know what? That, that needs to change. And we allow the Word of God to change our lives. What an incredible truth. Let me say this. It is not the messenger of the Word of God that changes lives. It is the message of the Word of God that changes lives. It is not the messenger of the Word of God that changes lives. It is the message of the Word of God. But let me say this. If we don't have messengers, then the Word of God will never get out. Thus, the definition of a missionary. Anyone who is willing to go anywhere to tell anyone about the gospel. That's a missionary. Let me ask you a question. How much time have you spent in this book? Well, let, let me ask you another question. Are you saved? Have you, have you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you? Do you know where you will spend eternity? If you, if you are saved, how much time do you spend in the book? Because it's this book that's going to change your life. How much time? How much time do you spend in prayer every day to the God of heaven, thanking him for, for, for what you have? I, couldn't, I can't think of a better subject to talk about during Missions Emphasis Month than the Word of God. Because really, is that, is that not what missions is all about? Taking the precious Word of God to people who have never seen it. Never heard it have never experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's what missions is about. We need to get excited about this book. We should not wake up in the morning and say, oh man, i got to read the Bible again today. That's not how we should do it. We should wake up in the morning saying, 
oh, I get to read the Word of God today. What is God going to do in my life today? Despise not prophesying. Get excited about the Word of God. Get excited about the things of God. Let me encourage you, uh, those of you that are uh, app savvy, okay, in your phones, uh, download an app called um, uh, Sermon Audio. Uh, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sermons from pastors all over the world. Now, uh, be careful who you listen to, okay? I'm just saying. But when you're driving between here and Reno, listen to a sermon. Get excited about the things of God. Get excited about the Word of God because it's this book that's going to change our lives. Let me close with this. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, I am so thankful for the Word of God. I am so thankful for all that you've done in my life through the Word of God. What an incredible blessing the Word of God has been in my life. It has literally changed my life. Help it never to become dull. Help it never to become mundane or an, an an unexciting exercise. Lord, help it always to be, hey, I get to go to church. I get to read the Word of God. Help us, dear God, to be excited about the Word of God.